Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We're going to be in Romans again today. This is our second message. We've just started last week in the book of Romans. And so I'm going to ask in your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1. Flip your Bibles open, Romans chapter 1. I'll give you this reminder in case you're newer. If you don't have a paper Bible, I think that's important. I think it's a big deal. And I know you can always pull it up on your phone, but it's cool to have a paper Bible and you can write notes in it. And especially, we've just started the book of Romans, and I mean, we're going to carve our way through it. I don't know how long we'll be here. But it'd be cool if you had a Bible where you could just... Write notes and circle words and underline and do all those things. If you don't have one, they're in the lobby. We've already bought them for you. You don't have to buy them. You just need to be sure what you're grabbing because we have Bibles in English and in Spanish. Make sure you get the right one. Okay, Romans chapter 1. If you have it, let's stand to our feet. And uh, if you're newer, again, we don't up, down, up, down the whole morning, right? You just need to know this. When we read our primary text, we stand to our feet. And it is just, it's just symbolic to us, that's all. It's purely symbolic. But it reminds us, this is God speaking to us. Listen, I hope we always realize this. God has a word for us this morning. He has a word for you, specifically for you. You say, you don't know where I'm from. I'm like, well, the Holy Spirit does. And so the Holy Spirit has a word for you today. So we're going to start in verse 8. It says this. Paul speaking. Let me say first that I thank my God, Jesus Christ, for all of you. Because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. And when we get together, I want to encourage you in your your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Verse 13, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I've seen among the Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. Verse 15, so I am eager to come to you in Rome too, to preach the good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence here in this, in this uh, service. We thank you that we've already sensed and experienced your presence. We've already experienced the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're in awe of you, sovereign God, eternal God, God of all power. And so now by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us. Maybe we weren't even expecting to hear from you this morning, God. Maybe, maybe we didn't come in expectantly. But we still say, Lord, now and this time, speak to us. Draw us closer to you. Speak in a way that only brings you glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. How many of you, just out of curiosity, uh, if, you've ever, if you've ever been to court and you've been on the witness stand, just out of curiosity, just raise your hand. If you've ever been on the witness stand. Yeah, a few of you, a number of you. All right, so, so here's what's really easy, interesting. And even if you haven't, uh, if you haven't been on the witness stand, you've watched Law and Order, or you've watched something like that, and you know that in court they always say this, do you swear to tell the truth, the, oh, that's interesting, the whole truth, and nothing but, not, not just tell the truth, you've got to tell the whole truth, that's what they say, and the reason is this, because sometimes you can say truth and not say the whole truth, right, like if somebody was saying, hey, describe your wife, tell us what she's really like, like, what's Kimberly like, and I say, well, she's my wife, 
Like that is true, but it's not the whole truth. It doesn't give you the whole picture. She's also the daughter of Bev. She's the sister of Kevin. She, she's the friend of, of many, you know. She's a, a, an amazing baker. She, like, I could tell you all those things and give you the bigger picture. I could tell you the whole truth. See, Neil, tell us about yourself. What do you really like? Well, you know, I'm the son of Jack. Well, that doesn't really, you know, what else? Well, I'm the husband to Kim. I'm the, I'm the brother, right? To, right? I'm, I'm annoying at times. Like the whole truth, the whole, get the whole picture. And so sometimes we say something that is partial truth that's not the whole truth. And, and I think this morning what I'd like for us to do as a church is I'd like us to see whole truth. And here's the reason why. Because I think right now in a lot of the church, maybe not you specifically, I'd say a lot of the church, I think what we're believing right now is a partial truth. And I think that's a detriment to the church. I think it's a detriment to our church. I think it's a detriment to the mission of the church. Because I believe that what we believe is a partial truth. And this morning, remember, we said this was part two of this message. And so this morning, I want us to see the whole truth. Now, uh, to start things off, I, th I think, you know, one of your favorite things in school, so we're going to do this morning, we're going to have a pop quiz, because everybody loves a pop quiz. You get to school on Monday morning, the teacher says, hey, pull out your notebook, pop quiz, and you're like, I was hoping you'd say that. So here's a, here's a pop quiz. You know, we've been talking about this last week. We started with this, the good news. We said the good news means the gospel. Anytime you see the good news, it's, it's the word gospel. Or if you see the word gospel, it means good news. And it's relevant because it, we started in it last week. And I'll go back and review just a little bit. But just, just remembering that, good news. All right, so here's your pop quiz. And, and what I'm asking is, if you have a blank uh, space on, on, and you're taking some notes, write this down. You're going to want to write this down. And if you don't, make sure you, you come up with something in your head. Because the quiz is this. What is the gospel? What is the good news? So I'm gonna give you about 30 seconds and I want you to formulate that thought in your head and then hold on to it. And if you can write it down, write it down. What actually is the gospel? What is that? What is the good news? Start writing or start thinking, formulate something. I'll give you just a second. If you're at home, come up with something. You may even enter it in. Who's the online host this morning? We, oh, it's Pastor Vicki. If you're online this morning, pop in and say good morning to Pastor Vicki. But if you're online, Type something, what is the gospel? What is it, you got it? You got it in your head? You got something written down? I wanna make sure we have this because we're gonna come back to this a little later. Got it? Students, if you write something, what is the gospel, right? What is the gospel? What is the good news? I want you to have something formulated in your brain. All right, so let me do this. Let me go back and just get everybody up to speed real quick so we know where we're at. This was last week we started. And Paul, this book that we always talk about, the book of Romans, we find out, oh, it's actually a letter. This is, is a letter, and it's from Paul. Paul identifies himself. He's clearly the author. No one historically questions that. And he describes himself as a slave of Christ Jesus. If you remember last week, we said that word slave is not the way that we think of slavery. It's not this horrific thing that we think of of slavery. He uses the Greek word doulos, which means this. It's almost a term of endearment. He's saying, I'm not a slave who's all chained up. He says, actually, it's almost this thought, almost where Paul believes that he's been, he's chained himself to Christ Jesus, and he's a slave in that he recognizes that he was bought with a price by the blood of Christ. And so then Paul says that he's been chosen by God, it's very clear, we'll see, uh, to be an apostle and sent out, here's a phrase, you ready? Sent out to preach his good news, there it is, the good news. 
And we talked about it a little bit last week, but Paul is going to start to clue us in as we started to work through this. He goes on to say, God promised this good news long ago through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. In other words, part of this good news is that this came from years and years and years and years ago. Maybe as early as 1,500 to almost 2,000 years before Paul is speaking, the prophets were writing about it. And I said this last Sunday, because I and a couple of people asked me, I think it's always very interesting. You've got to remember this. A lot of the old prophets, the Old Testament prophets, are writing things down. I believe they wrote things down and then they read it and they're like, huh, I wonder what that is. Like the Holy Spirit was giving them a word and told them to write this down. And then they're like, I'm not sure what that is. I'm not sure what that's going to look like. But they were led by the Holy Spirit and they wrote it. Then Paul continues and he said, the good news is about God's son. Okay, this good news, this gospel, it's about Christ. It's about Jesus, right? Now, this is what's really interesting. You should just know this because this is one of those nerdy little things and I just get way off on a tangent, but I find this stuff interesting. Paul, I believe the reason God specifically chose Paul to do this is because Paul is steeped in Judaism, taught well in Judaism, had one of the greatest rabbis of his day, Gamaliel. Gamaliel is the grandson of Hillel, the greatest and most famous rabbi of, of, of all time in Israel. Here's Paul who's completely steeped in this Judaism, right? Paul also, though, grew up in Tarsus. Tarsus is a city in Turkey, today modern-day Turkey, and it's very cosmopolitan, meaning Paul would have been really steeped in Greco-Roman culture. Okay, here's why that's important. Because this term, good news, this term gospel, that ain't new to the Bible. This is really interesting. Paul is using a term from their own day, and he knows that, and he's speaking their language. Now, get ready for this. They believed that the good news was the birth of Caesar Augustus, and they all called it the good news, and they used the exact same word, euangelion. Euangelion is where we get our word gospel. It's the Greek word where we get our word gospel. Now, think about this. They didn't have the internet no, they wouldn't have had the internet yet. And they didn't have the newspaper, and they didn't have the radio, they didn't have the TV, they didn't have any of that stuff. So when they wanted to get the word out, here's what they did. They would put these monuments up, these different monuments, and then they would, they would en engrave things on them. This is what's known as the Priene Inscription. Right? And this dates back to about 7 BC, 9 BC. It's in the era, it's long before Jesus got here. Now, this is where Paul comes up with this phrase because this was the Ungalian, this was the gospel according to the Priam inscription. It says, The providence, 7 BC, is about when this was written which has ordered the whole of our life, speaking to Roman citizens, this is not written to Christians, has ordained the most perfect consummation for human life by giving to it Caesar Augustus by sending in him, as it were, a savior for us and those who come after us. That was the euangelion of their day. That was the good news of their day. It was the gospel of their day. So Paul, heavily steeped in Roman and Greco-Roman culture, is like, I'm about to tell you some good news. I'm about to tell you the real good news. I'll, I'll give you the good news. It's, it's just interesting stuff. And so normally what would happen is from U, E-U, the, the first part of that word, euangelion, right, comes the word euangeliastes, which means evangelist. It means to evangelize. And euangeliastes is one, a Ro would have been a Roman citizen, who goes up on a hill and watches the Roman army in combat. And, and, they're, and they're, they're at war, and the Roman army starts to win, and now they run and they go to their nearest town and they give the good news. And the good news would apply, get ready for this, the good news applies to anyone who has an allegiance to that sovereignty, who has an allegiance to that kingdom. Okay, Paul uses their same term. 
He uses their same language. And it was very obvious to everybody then, like, I thought the good news was Caesar Augustus. And Paul's saying, oh, no, no, no. I'm giving you ultimate, ultimate good news, right? And then Paul is finally going to go on. So, so he's going to tell us now, finally, who is he writing this to? Who is Paul writing his letter to? And this is really important. Paul says this in verse 7. Now look at verse 7. He says, I'm writing to all of you... Who's you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people? Very important, and you need to know this going forward. The letter is written to followers of Jesus in Rome. He's writing to the Roman church. People who have declared faith in Christ, who are followers of Jesus, who are being discipled and and growing up. He's writing to Christians. I'm careful when I use that term because they might have been Jewish, right? But he's writing to people who have received Christ, who are following Christ, who are disciples of Christ. You need to know it. Now, we move into today's passage, and I think this is really interesting. Watch how Paul starts to describe these people that he's writing to. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, you followers of Jesus, you disciples who happen to be in Rome, right? Because your faith, they have a faith. They've declared faith in Christ. In Christ is being talked about. Now get ready for this, all over the world. Think about this. You have a friend right now, let's just say, who lives in Turkey. And your friend and you, 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 they live in Turkey, and you guys call and you talk on the phone, and they know that you go to church here in Cedar Valley Church. And it, from Turkey, from Turkey, they talk to you and they say, man, I just want to tell you, Cedar Valley Church is being talked about all over the world. Here in Turkey, we're hearing about what's going on and what God is doing at Cedar Valley Church. That's essentially what Paul is saying here. Your faith, church in Rome, your faith is being talked about all over the world. And then he continues to talk to them. He says, for I long to visit you. He's never been there. I long to visit you. Why? So that I can bring you some spiritual gift. Why? Because they're spiritual people, because they're filled with the Spirit now. Once they've made a decision to follow Christ, they have the Holy Spirit living in them that will help you grow strong in the Lord, which should be understood as grow even stronger, even stronger. You're already growing up in the Lord. You're already followers of Jesus. That's the people he's writing to. Then he goes on and he says, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also, this is the Apostle Paul who says this, I also want to be encouraged by your faith. Their faith is so amazing, all over the world people are having about it, even the Apostle Paul is going to be encouraged by their faith. Like go back 15 years, go back 15 years from today, and you have somebody that calls you on the phone, and they say, hey, Uh, This is Bill, your friend Bill, you know, Bill Graham. And uh, I just want you to know that you really encouraged me in my faith. Like 15 years ago, Billy Graham would call you and say your name. You specifically encourage me. Right, that's what's happening here. These people, these believers in Jesus, these followers of Jesus in Rome, their faith is so strong, not only is it heard about all over the world, but it actually encourages The Apostle Paul. Like, that's some faith. These folks are strong in the Lord, right? Paul goes on and he says this. I want to work among you and see, here it is, spiritual fruit. Why? Because they're spiritual people, because they have the Holy Spirit, because they are actual followers of Jesus. Just as I've seen among other Gentiles, which should be understood as other Gentile believers in Jesus. He's talking to believers in Jesus And now we're going to get to verse 15, and verse 15 is what made me stop and pause after understanding the context of this. Verse 15, he says, so I'm eager to come to you in Rome. 
You in Rome, you followers of Jesus, you people who have declared faith in Christ, you people who are following after him, to do what? I'm, I'm anxious to come to you too, to do what? And here's where you get it, to preach the good news. Now, stop and think about this for a minute. Why does Paul need to preach the good news to them? We've already heard what great Christians they are. We've already heard what followers of Jesus they are. We've already heard how great their faith is. We've already heard how strong they are. We've already heard that this is the people who are being heard about all over the world. We've already heard that these are people who actually encourage the Apostle Paul. Why would they need to be preached the good news? Why would they need the good news? And this is a disconnect, I believe, in the Christian church. Because remember this, go back, look at your pop quiz. See, what's the gospel? What's really the good news? Based on the way that we define gospel, do these folks need it? They already follow Jesus. What we have come to believe in today is what is known as, the term is being used as soterian gospel. So soteria is, is the Greek word for salvation. Soteriology is the study of ology. It's the study of specifically the doctrine of salvation. And we today, I believe in the church, and I think this is a real detriment to the church, we are confusing the gospel, the full gospel, with just salvation. And this is where I would say this. Is salvation incorrect? No. Is it incomplete? It is greatly incomplete. It is greatly incomplete if we think that the gospel is just purely about salvation. That is an incomplete gospel. And I believe it's detrimental to the church because here's how we look at it. We're like, man, all you got to do is, you know, we've got this phrase now, pray and ask Jesus into your heart, which P.S., and I don't even know if you know this because we use it so commonly in the church. No one, find it for me, no one in the New Testament ever prayed and asked Jesus into their heart. It was far more radical than that. We act like this. When you cross the goal line, now you've finished. No, no, no. You cross the goal line, and now the field lays out in front of you. I mean, watch how Paul, Paul, you know, Paul had a young protege. His protege's name was Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. He's pastoring the church in Ephesus. Paul has mentored him. Paul has discipled him. Paul is growing him faith. Paul is constantly encouraging him. Watch how Paul defines the gospel to Timothy. Paul says this, always remember, Timothy, that Jesus, always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. All of this is the good news. Now watch what all is included here. He says, first of all, Jesus Christ. This is not first name, last name. It's not like Jesus steps up to a service window anywhere and they go, first name, Jesus. Last name, Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Jesus is his name. It means Yahweh saves. But but Christ is his position. It means he's the anointed one. It means he is the Messiah. It means he's the savior. He is Jesus, the one who saves, who is clearly in this earthly life, but he is the anointed Messiah. So first we know that's part of the good news because Paul says all this is the good news. Then he says he's a descendant of King David. Right, part of the good news is this. Have you ever stopped and thought about this? When Adam and Eve ate the apple, did God say oops? When Adam and Eve ate the apple, did God say, snap, what do I do now? Did you know this? From eternity past, God's plan has been to send his only son. God was not surprised when Adam and Eve ate the apple. He's known the whole time they were going to eat the apple. And he had a plan the whole time. Right. He's a descendant of King David. This goes way back. The gospel story goes way back to Israel. And God brought the Messiah out of Israel. 
right? And then he says, he was raised from the dead. When you're raised from the dead, Jesus conquered sin and he conquered death. It means he has power. He has all power. And as a result, he is Lord. All of that is included in the gospel. It's not just Jesus saves. It's not just that he's the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, and has the power to save. It's the whole picture. You know this, that in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 is the story of Pentecost. So Jesus walked the earth for 40 days, was crucified. He was dead. Not only dead, he was good and dead. He was in the tomb three full days, which to the Jews meant that means you're really dead, right? And then he raises from dead. He walked the earth another 40 days. He, he, I think I said 40 days he, he walked the earth. He, he was here 33 years. Then he was crucified. Then he, then he walks the earth another 40 days, right? Okay, now he's about to ascend to heaven. He ascends into heaven, and about 10 days later, the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit at Pentecost is what we call it in the book of Acts. Following Pentecost, Peter gets up, and he just blisters the wallpaper. I mean, that brother can preach, and he's preaching, right? And at one point, he says this to them. So let everybody in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both. They are both Lord and Messiah, Lord and Savior. And I'm saying, I think one of the challenges that we have in the church today is we just think of Jesus as Savior. Oh, you know, I pray, I pray and ask Jesus into my heart. Oh, you know, I've, I've done that. I've done that. I'm good to go. And I'm saying, that salvation thing is true. It's not incorrect. It is just incomplete. People who were called to, to Jesus, they followed Jesus. They were called followers of Jesus. They are disciples of Jesus. We are called to be disciples, not just converted. We are disciples. And so what I want to do is take a look at the whole gospel. What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean, really mean to follow Jesus? What does that mean? Can't I just pray a prayer? Can't I just ask Jesus into my heart? No, because it ain't biblical. That is not the biblical picture. Let me give you three things to think about disciples of Jesus. Number one, disciples give up. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're going to say, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, then you got to give up. Now watch this. Watch what Luke's gospel records. This is Jesus. These are Jesus' words. Jesus is talking to a group, and he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you want to be a disciple, you want to be able to call yourself a follower of mine, you're one of my children, this is what you must do, not you should, not maybe, not might. This is what you must do. He says this, you got to give up your own way. you got to give up. You can't possibly be, follow, be a follower of Jesus if you're still doing everything that you want to do the way you want to do. Right? It's my timing. It's my say. Like, is it? I'm not sure that's biblical. And just so you know, if there was any ambiguity in what Jesus said, he's about to double down. Watch what he says. What I really mean is this, take up your cross daily and follow me. Now that's a nice little colloquialism for us, but if you were living in the first century in the Roman Empire, you knew what taking up a cross meant. You've seen crucifixion, you've experienced it, you've smelled it, you know what crucifixion smells like. You know what it means to pick up a cross. And Jesus is saying, if you're gonna be my follower, if you're gonna be my disciple, you gotta give up your own way and you gotta pick up a cross. And he didn't just say pick up a cross, do you notice this? daily. You got to pick up a cross daily. That means today I get up, I surrender my life to Jesus. I surrender all my ways and I follow Jesus today. I pick up my cross today. And you know what I'm about to do tomorrow morning? I got to do it all over again. 
I got to do it all over again. I got to pick up a cross tomorrow morning. And I got to say, today it's not my way. Jesus, today it's your way. It's your will. It's what you want. It's your timing. You want me to go there? I'll go there. You want me to quit this? I'll quit this. You want me to start this? I'll start that. You want me to spend my money? You want me to spend my time? Whatever you say, Jesus, daily. And then he says, you can follow me. You know why? Because you can't follow him if you're doing it your own way. You can't. You can't possibly follow Jesus. You, you give up your own way. You pick up a cross, then, then you can follow me. Watch how Paul describes himself. Paul says himself, my old self has been, oh, what is it? Crucified with Christ. It's not me who lives anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. See, here, here's what happens. The Bible talks about repent. Now, now, I will acknowledge this. The Bible talks about repent and believe. Repent literally means, some of you know this, repent literally means you're walking this way, and now instead, you walk this way. And for some of you, you live crazy, radical lives, right? And you were headed this way, and you were some kind of criminal or addict or whatever, and then boom, you just turn and you walk the other way. For a lot of us, it works, it works more like this. You're going along, and somewhere you make a decision, and you just start turning like this. I would say this is a little bit more me. And then you, you, but you've got to follow. There's got to be a decision and there's got to be a change in lifestyle. At some point, you have to give up. Followers of Jesus, you, you have to give up, right? So number one, disciples give up. Number one, they give up. But here's the second one. Number two, disciples got to grow up. A disciple's got to grow up. You got to grow in the Lord. You, 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 you've got to become more mature. You got to grow in your faith. You're like, no, I, I prayed and I asked Jesus into my heart. I'm good now. I'm like, well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't, doesn't talk like that. You have to be maturing. You have to be growing. Here again is what Peter said. Peter says this, like newborn babies. Remember like just a newborn, like a little baby, right? You must crave to long after, to desire, to, to go after pure spiritual milk. So, so that what? So that you will grow, grow up into the full experience of salvation. Not just, hey, I asked Jesus into my heart. Like, that, that's not what this is about. He says, cry out for this nourishment. Cry out for it. Like, you ever seen, some of you have little kids at home. You have little ones at home. You have a little baby, and all they know is they want something. They just cry, and they cry, and they cry. And I'm like, man, your kid must be in pain. No, they just want, they just hungry. They just hungry. Like, that's the way we should be doing it. Do I? Do you? If you're online, do, do you hunger after it? Do you say, man, I got to grow up in my faith. I have got to mature. I've got to be in the word. I've got to be growing. That's why we get in life groups. Because when we're in life groups, we disciple one another. Because you say something and I go, I didn't even think of that. Right? Or maybe I say something, I didn't even know it. And you talk to me a month later and you say, you know when you said that, that, that encouraged me. That made me think. I'm like, right. That's what we do. Now, I want to tell you why this growing up thing is so important. You just got to, you just got to bear with me for just a minute. This growing up thing is vital to our mission as a church. It is critical, and I'm gonna tell you why. Go with me for just a minute, and, and imagine you're a big football fan. You're an NFL fan, so even if you're not, you don't have to be a sports fan, just, just go with it for a minute. Think in your head, don't say it out loud. Think in your head, who's your favorite? If you had to pick one, if you had to pick one, who's your favorite NFL team? Got it? Just like that, came to you? Okay, here's what we're gonna do. On the count of three, I'm gonna say one, two, three, AJ, I better hear from you. I'm gonna say one, two, three, and then you're gonna say go, whatever it is. You're gonna say go Vikings. You're gonna say go Bears. You're gonna say go, P it never comes out. That one never comes out of me. Okay, it just won't. I don't. You're gonna say go Falcons. 
You're gonna say go, you ready? So it's gonna be, I'll say one, two, three, and then you say go, right? Here we go, one, two, okay, wait a minute. Because I'm not feeling it from you right now. I'm not feeling it. I mean, it's gotta be like this, we gotta, yeah! Okay, here we go, one, two, three. Okay, now here's what's cool. You're gonna see your friends who are fan, you're like, I'm such a big fan. Sometimes I just scream it out in the middle of the church service and my pastor's okay with it. So you just tell your friends that. But I want you to think of this now. You're the biggest Viking fan. Man, you're a Viking fan. And on Sundays, you get home. Sometimes you wear your jersey to church, right? You, you're a Viking fan. You're a Packer fan. You're a Bears fan, whatever it is. And you put on your jersey. You might have a hat, man. And, and you sit and watch. Oh, you got kids. You put your kids in a jersey. You put your kids in a sweatshirt. Your kids got a hat on. Okay, now, even if you don't, because we don't, we don't have any kids. But even if you don't, imagine for just a second that you got a two or three-year-old. You got a two or three-year-old, right? And you're going to get them dressed up for the game. This is how you dress them. Man, you put on, they got a head. They look like a warrior. And they got the Fu Man taped on. They got their jersey. And probably underneath, they got some Viking underoos, man. They are a fan. And so you have friends. And your friends, they, they ain't football fans at all. They're definitely not Viking fans. Whatever you are, they're not, right? They're, they're not really big fans. And you wish they were. You want them to be a fan like you are. And so here's what you say. Hey, um, my wife and I, we're, we're going to be watching the game. And, you know, we'll put out some food and all that stuff. You should come over and watch the game with us. And your friends go, okay, whatever, sure, we'll come over and watch the game. So your friends come over and watch the game. And you got little bowls of pretzels. And you got little bowls of chips. And you got little bowls of popcorn all over the living room, right? And you all sit down to watch the game. And everybody's watching the game. Your friends are kind of enjoying it. They're going along with it. And they're eating and they're eating. And, and Junior here, Junior is all over the chips. And Junior just keeps eating chips. And pretty soon you think in your head, I don't know that Junior should be eating that many chips. Like he's had enough. So Junior reaches for the chips and you pull the bowl away. Well, Junior doesn't like that. He doesn't like that. So what's he do? Oh, he throws a tantrum. He goes full on hissy fit. The headband flies off. The Fu Man comes off. The jersey comes off. And he's running around in his Viking underwears just throwing a fit, throwing a tantrum. And he does that the entire rest of the game. Right? All right, now the game's over. And your friends go home. And you weren't there, but here's the conversation they had. One of them says to the other, hey, would you ever be a Viking fan? And the other one says, I'll tell you, I can't stand those Viking fans. And they say, well, how come? Well, the first little thing that goes wrong, that little Viking fan was running around his underwears, just throwing a fit, and they threw a fit the whole time. Now, you and I both know that that was a little kid, that that's an immature kid, but your friends say, I don't want to be a part of that team at all. Okay, now, watch what happens here. See, we're, we, we identify ourselves as Christians, or at least we've identified ourselves to friends that we go to church. And we've said things like that to them. And we say to them sometimes, hey, you should come to church with me sometime. I wish you'd come to church. And you want to talk to them even. Even if it's not church, you want to have those, those kinds of conversations. Do you know that they're always watching? Do you know that? Now, everybody, just so you know, everybody raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. Okay, these are all the people that are going to get offended right now. These are all the people. Okay. If we're really honest, and this is, this is, I'm not chewing anybody out, I'm just, I'm just saying this is the obvious. In the last three years, folks, a lot of Christians been running around in their underoos throwing a tantrum. And the elections came up last time. Ah, oh, this one, ah, oh, this happened, and this was stolen, this was, and you know what a lot of folks out there said? Because, because you've identified yourself in some way to them as a Christian, and they said, you know what, man? 
I don't want to be on that team. Because we're immature. Because we got to grow up. And then, and, then, and then we had, for instance, the COVID thing. A lot of Christians, man, ripped off the jerseys, walking around in their Christian underoos, throwing a tantrum. This, this, this restriction and this mask and blah, blah. And you know what a lot of folks said? I don't want to be on that team. You understand what I'm saying? And then we had the killing of George Floyd. And we had black people, and we had brown people, and we had white people. And they were peeling off the jersey, running around in their Christian underoos, throwing a tantrum about everything. And we had a lot of folks out there saying, man, they're like a bunch of little babies, just always throwing a fit. I do not want to be on that team. See, this is why we got to grow up. It's important in the mission of the church because we're always being watched. I don't know if you even think of that. We're always being, once you have in any way identified yourself as a follower of Jesus, even if you've just said simple things like, I go to church. Hey, I was at church the other day. Now they watch you. And when you throw tantrums and you whine and you cry, and I do the same thing, man. In the last three years, I've been unbelievable. I know there have been people who looked at me and just went, I do not want to be on that team. we got to grow up. We grow up. You know the English language is very interesting. Do you know this? Like, we say this. I say I love my wife, and then in the same sentence, I say I love pizza. They go, oh, same thing. Yeah, pretty much the same. In the Greek language, they have six words for the word love. Did you know that? Six words. And they're all different kinds of love. There's an agape love, which is a self-sacrificing. We, we always call it the love of God. There's an, there's an eros love. It's, it's, it's an erotic type of love. There's a brotherly love. There's Phyllis, right? There, there's six different words. Did you know it's the same thing for, for the word children? Did you know that? Write this down and you can go home and look it up. If you go to Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16, in verses 15 and 16, he talks about children and he uses this word, technon. Technon means basically you are technically a child. You are technically a child. And it kind of works like this. If I was just born and now I'm laying in one of those plastic tubs and I'm in this room and there's about 12 babies in there and somebody would walk in and they're trying to figure out and they go, hey, is that Jack's kid? Is that Jack's kid right there? And whoever's working inside the room would walk over and look at little, little bracelets that are on there. And they're looking at different ones. They go, oh, yeah, this is Jack's kid. But that's the only way you could tell. Because technically I'm Jack's kid because we have the same DNA. Right? In verses 15 and 16 in Romans chapter 8, it's that word technon. It just means technically. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. That once you receive Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And so technically you are a child of Christ. You're identified as a child of Christ. But the word that's used in verse 14 is the word weos. And weos is a different word. Weos, technon typically means infant, baby, but it's the word children, right? Weos usually means an older child, and here's how you know that a weos is a child. Because they take on the nature and the characteristics. So every once in a while I do this thing. If you said something to me and I go like this, I go, I just make that expression. Kimmy will always say, okay, Jack Rich, because my father does that exact same expression. And when I'm with my brother every once in a while, and I watch my brother talk, and he's doing this stuff with his hands, I'm like, easy, Jack Rich, because his hand gestures are just like my father. You don't even have to ask. You just watch us, and you go, those are Jack's boys. If you saw my sister, that's Jack's kid. Because we have the mannerisms, the characteristics, the very nature of Jack Rich, right? Weos means this. We are children who have taken on the very nature of our father. And folks don't have to guess. They see you, and they go, that's one of God's children right there. Oh, oh, I see that. That's a follower of Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? We got to grow up. We got to quit being just the technon and we got to start being the weos where people see the characteristics. They see the nature. They see the behavior of God. They see us act in ways that are congruent with those people who are children of God, who are followers of Christ. 
That's why this growing up thing, we, some of, we just got to mature. What are you doing? Are you in the word? Are you in a life group? Are you in relationship with other Christians who can speak into your life and you can speak into theirs and we grow and we, right? Are we doing all those things? So we know this, they give up, they grow up. And the last thing is disciples, real disciples get busy. They get busy. They get busy about kingdom work. They get busy about the mission. We've been given a mission. Go make disciples. Get busy about the mission. Right? Again, this is Paul. Now Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. And Paul has already talked to them about, man, but it's by grace you're saved. And and he's talked to them about that. So so nobody can boast. And then he says this, because we're God's masterpiece. God has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? Why has God given us new life? For what purpose? To what end? So that, so that, so that, thank you, so that, whoop, whoop, backwards, please. Yeah, so we can do the good things that God planned for us long ago. That's why you were saved. That's why you have new life in Christ. So that you can do so that you can do, not so that you can just be saved and wait till you die. It's so you can get busy, so that you can do the good things that God planned for us long ago. Did you know this? Long before you were born, long before I was born, from time, time eternity past. Did you know that God already had a plan for you and I, a plan to do? He, he, he already had something, he already had work for us to do. Did you know that? Like, that's why he saved us, so we can get busy, so we can be about the work. Watch how James, you know James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's a disciple. And I always say this whenever I talk about James. In the Gospels, we know that James thought his brother was a nut. He thought his brother, half-brother Jesus was a nut. They didn't believe that he was a Messiah. What changed that? Oh, yeah, he witnessed and interacted with the resurrected Christ. That tends to change your mind. And so now he writes this letter called James. And this is how he describes, watch how he describes worship. He says this, pure and genuine, like this is it. Religion, which religion is an act of worship. It's the way we act, it's the way we behave. In the sight of God the Father means. What does it mean? What is pure? What does genuine religion mean? And he says this, caring for orphans and widows in their distress. That's interesting, isn't it? It doesn't mean like pure and genuine religion means go to church at least three times a month. He didn't say that. He said, man, is doing the work. It's caring for the orphans and widows. And so see, that's the heart of God, that we're doing. Like, there's definitely a moment where you got to give up. There's surrender. There's definitely a time. We, we have to be continually growing up. We've got to be maturing. It's so important. But then you got to get busy. we got to be about the work of the kingdom. we got to be going. we got to be doing these things, right? This is Jesus' famous last words. So now he's walked the earth for 40 days, and he's, a, he's about to ascend into heaven. Last words with his disciples. He came and he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Why would he say that? The reason Jesus said that is because he's about to tell them something. He's about to give them orders. And he's saying, just so you guys know this, I have the authority. It's like if you had a sibling that came and told you something, and they said, hey, hey, mom says, well, now you know she means business. Jesus is saying, I've been given that authority, all authority all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Now, those of you, if you, you'll have a, a negative flashback here, but just hold on. Remember junior high, middle, middle school, and you're in English class, and you learn how to diagram sentences. You remember that? A sentence has to have a subject, and it has to have a verb. Okay, the word go is actually a complete sentence. It's the verb. The verb is go. What's the understood subject? You. 
Jesus is saying, I have all the authority, therefore you go, get busy. And then he says this, go and do what? Go and make disciples. See, disciples, make disciples. Who are you discipling? Don't freak out. You don't have to have some theology class. We're telling the good news. We're telling the story of Jesus. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then he says this, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Now, usually when we start thinking about this, about talking to people about Jesus, you know how you get kind of sick in your stomach, you get a little queasy, you get a little nervous, you get a little anxious. Jesus knew that. He knew he was talking to the disciples. He knew exactly how they were going to feel. So watch what he leaves them with as the last line. Oh, and be sure of this. I'm with you, and I'm with you always. I'm with you even to the end of the age. See, we got to get busy. we got work to do. That's the good news. The good news is that we make a decision to follow Jesus, that we live in it, that we live in the full gospel, that we grow up, that we mature, that we get busy. We're making disciples. Disciples make disciples. That's just the way it works. That the whole truth, the whole truth. The gospel is not just salvation. It's not just pray and ask Jesus into your heart. There's no just to it. The gospel is full surrender. It's living a new life. It's living a new life. And so here's the big so what today. The gospel is more than a moment in time. I think we've come to believe that, this soterian gospel. Hey, it's a moment in time. Hey, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm done. I'm good. Like, nope, that's the wrong gospel. Is it incorrect? No, it's just grossly incomplete. And so here's your big now what today. This is what we want to do. We want to live the whole gospel. So I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will talk to you. You know, maybe you say, well, I've already give up, given up. I've surrendered my life to Christ. I, I did invite Christ into my life. I definitely did that. But maybe I need to work on the growing up thing. Maybe I need to be, uh, you know, Barna Research says this. 70% of regular church attenders never look at their Bible outside of church service. And I'm saying we got to grow up a little. That's not to shame anybody. That, that, that's not to discourage anybody. I'm just saying like, hey, maybe we need to get about the business. We've got to grow up a little. Maybe you need to be in a life group where other people can speak into your life. You can make those kinds of relationships, right? And then it's get busy. Maybe, maybe you need to be serving. That's why when we do Food in the Hood uh, every, every uh, first and third Tuesday of every month, man, that's doing the work. We're feeding hungry people. Maybe you're a greeter at one of our doors. You just know you'd be good at it. That's doing the work. Maybe you're serving in some other way. Maybe you're serving in some way that's totally outside of our church. That's great. That's doing the work. We got to get busy. Disciples make disciples. And so I would just say, ask the Holy Spirit, like, where am I a little short? Where, where am I really not living the whole gospel? Where am I living a very incomplete gospel? Where am I living a very convenient gospel? Where, where am I living just a, a gospel that's lacking? Not incorrect, just incomplete. Right? Let's pray. So Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness to us, God. Thank you that you've saved us, Father. Thank you that your plan from eternity past was to send a Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you came willingly. You suffered. You died. You hung on that cross, Jesus. You were put in a tomb. And then three days later, you came out. You validated, you proved that you were indeed God, that you were worthy sacrifice. We thank you for that good news. We thank you for the good news that we're now disciples. We've been saved to good works, that we have work to do. 
I just pray, Father, that you'd speak to each of us this morning. Where are we lacking? What do we need? Where are we not living incorrectly, but incompletely? Where have we misunderstood the gospel? Father, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning. Because I believe with all my heart, Father, the mission will advance more quickly if we're living out the full gospel.